Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will take a, bless Let's take you. a look at this, just this one verse of Scripture here this morning. In talking about sheep and talking about how these shepherds would raise these sheep, what do we see? It says in the verse that they were in the fields. And I want to stop right there for just a second because a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we blow right past some of the best stuff, okay? This verse says they were in the fields. This would not be the pasture. This would not be the wilderness. This would not be somewhere where they would normally be. Being in the fields is significant because this is where the farmers would have been. What were they doing in the fields? This is out of the ordinary, but they are allowed to do it on just a couple of days a year. You see, in the Levitical law, there was a statute that said when the farmers were done with the harvest, as they gleaned from the fields, they would leave the corners. We see farmers going up and down the fields today, and they go in straight lines. But at that time, they would leave the corners, and they'd do a round or a circle so that the corner would be left for the poor or for the alien, the visitor. They would be left for the people that were in need. If you open up your Old Testament, you can see the story displayed in the life of Ruth. Ruth was able to glean in the fields of Boaz. Come on. And that blessed her. She was able to be fed, and it added up to a pretty good marriage too, by the way. Not too bad. So right after that, there's just a couple of days left. That was allowed for two weeks. There were only a few days left. And in the very last couple of days, after the farmers go through, after the, the impoverished go through, after the foreigner go th foreigners go through the field, there's very little left, but that's when the shepherds get to come. I want you to see on the social ladder, shepherds come after the foreigner and the impoverished. Shepherds are all back of the bus, man. And yet God still gives them something. Being in the field is very significant because the first time we see in the Bible a shepherd in a field, it didn't end really well for him. His name was Abel. Perhaps you remember the story. He offered up a sacrifice to the Lord that the Lord accepted, that the Lord uh, showed favor to. And yet his brother Cain offered up a sacrifice that the Lord did not accept. There was some anger brewing. If you remember what happens in that story, the Bible says, watch this, that Cain slew his brother Abel, come on church, in the field. This is a dangerous place to be. Shepherds were dangerous dudes. They were the equivalent of today's truck driver with the club in the cab. They were the equivalent of the MC, the motorcycle gang rider, that had to go the distance. Think about it, truckers have to go wherever their load has to go, and they live themselves into that lifestyle. The same with anybody else that is what I would call a road warrior. Come on. They lived a rough and a tough life. And being in the field was not safe for them. They were in the field at night. When shepherds would watch over their sheep at night, they would take stones and they would build them in a circle, put their sheep inside 
that circle of stones and then they'd lay themselves, they'd lay down on the hard ground and that was called the sheep's door. Jesus later, the good shepherd, says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. Come on. He's saying, I'm here not only to protect you, but I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to bless you. That was the lifestyle that they lived. And God, watch this, chose shepherds to be the first evangelists in the New Testament. They are the ones that have the first message from angels about the birth of the Messiah. They are the ones that go and see, and they are the ones that go throughout the community in the town to tell everybody the good news. God is turning his kingdom upside down. He's reversing the natural order. What you and I would call the status quo. God would say, I've chosen the least to use the most. Can I tell you this morning, God always calls the disqualified and then qualifies those that he calls. You might be here this morning and say, I'm nowhere near a shepherd. I'm nowhere near someone that should be leading for the Lord. Can I tell you this morning that God has chosen you for such a time as this to be in your field, to be at that job place, that workplace, to be at that marketplace, to be in your neighborhood, in your family. It is you who God has chosen. I know it's rough. I know it's tough. But God has chosen you, even in these dark days, even though it's night, God has chosen you. And I want to give you hope because anybody here, a mom, a dad, a leader at work, a business owner, pastors, ministers, you're all shepherds. But praise God, the good shepherd came first. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning. I don't even know if this is getting in your heart yet, but it will. It will. God wants you to know this morning. He has called you, but the good shepherd has come first. What does that mean? Jesus was born in this same field. Jesus is the good shepherd. Why, was Jesus, why would Luke mention this? Actually, it's mentioned twice in this chapter that they are in this field. Why would Luke go out of his way? It's only mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. He went out of his way to mention this because there's something that Jesus, being born in that field in Bethlehem, near what is called the Tower of the Shepherd. Come on, we're going to get to that in a minute. He is representing something of an announcement to the Satanic Kingdom, to the Kingdom of Darkness. Notice it's night. Notice it's in the field. Notice what happens to shepherds in, I don't know who I'm talking to. What happens to shepherds in the field ain't good, folks. And yet Jesus brings an invasion force. An invasion force of the fullness of the Godhead bodily inside of him. And shows up ironically like a baby. All of heaven and hell took a step back that night. This is how the king of kings, the one who made us, the one who crafted the stars, the one who formed the earth, the one who spoke all space and time into existence. This is the word of God, the son of God, the creator. And yet he shows up, the good shepherd shows up as a baby. Let me tell you why Luke mentions this. Because Luke wants us all to know 
that the King of kings and Lord of lords came into the enemy's territory. He came into the... He came into Abel's field. Come on. He came into the field where it was the worst and sent his son to be born there to announce to all of hell, your days are numbered. <laughs> it's almost over. You see, the book of Matthew, when you count these endless genealogies, calls forth a couple of numbers. There are 14 generations from Abraham all the way up to David. There are 14 more generations from David all the way up to the Babylonian captivity. And then Matthew says there's 14 more generations all the way from the Babylonian captivity to Christ. And that's 42 generations. God sent his son through a line of 42 generations of people to land, as the book of Galatians says, he came at such an appointed time. He arrived just on time, born in a very specific place to declare war on hell. And a shepherd showed up in a field. Everybody knew that story about Abel getting killed there. And this was Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to come to the worst place for shepherds. I'm going to come to the worst place for shepherds, and that's the place where I'm going to be born. And I'm going to announce to every person that feels like they're in a field of sorrow, depression, every person that's in the darkest moment of their life, every person that feels like they're going through it and they'll never get out of it, God says, I sent my son as the good shepherd to come first. I'm telling you, whatever you're going through, he's already come through first. Come on, church. Come on. Somebody get excited. Somebody lift him up today. Whatever you're going through, he's gone through first. Can I preach this morning, or are you just looking for... Come on, man. Are you, are you looking for some kind of... You just want candy canes. I know. That's, all, that's what it's all about. These angels, they show up and they sing this song, and it's interesting. The song that they sing, they sing this. They say, peace on earth goodwill to men there's a poor translation i'm not going to mention what it is because you all get all religious about that okay but there's a poor translation that says goodwill to men and then it just stops right there but in the greek all the other translations get it pretty close on whom god's favor rests another way to put it modern vernacular on whom those that please god God's favor doesn't rest on everyone. You want to know the truth of Christmas? Jesus was born for every lost soul. Every lost soul. But God's favor only comes on those who will respond to it and who will accept it and who will be obedient to it. On whom God's favor rests. What is the promise? Peace. Did you hear me this morning? If you don't have it, it's been bought with a price. Highly paid for, overpaid so that you can have it. You should be walking in it. You should be having it in your life. And if you don't, you can get it from God. An endless supply. Peace on earth, believe it or not. In this crazy world, it's like a big dirt ball with a bunch of ants on it. And it's insane. Have you tried to drive through Finley the last couple of days? People need Jesus, man. 
We're, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I ain't lying. And, and please leave your phone at home. Stop. If you make me wait through a green light because I, you're on your phone, I'm beeping. I'm going to beep you. Okay? And I know this isn't a beeping culture, but I will beep. You know? And then you get all these people that make all these dumb decisions. Are you going to turn or not? You know? And I want to yell out my window, I'm a pastor, turn or burn. But I don't. I'm very cool, calm, and collected. Cool as a cucumber. This earth needs Jesus. But the peace that's coming to the earth only rests on those whom God's favor rests upon. And goodwill to men. Goodwill. This idea of love and this idea of care. Your source now is Jesus, it's not you. And that's the promise that comes to people who would remain faithful, even as shepherds in a field. Can I just go a little bit farther? Peace on earth with whom he is well pleased, who will do the will of the Father. You see, the good shepherd is in your field too. He's in your business, your livelihood. He should be in your home. He should be in your family. If not, invite him. Invite him, his presence. Invite his peace and his goodwill. The promise of peace is for all of us. Look at verse 11, and we'll wrap this up. Today in the town of David, now there's two towns of David when the scripture says that. Um, there's Jerusalem, it's called the, uh, the town of David, but really that's called the city of David. Whenever you see the city of David, the Bible's talking about Jerusalem most of the time. And then when you see the town of David, it's talking about Bethlehem. Beth is... Uh, it means uh, a town, Lahayim, it bread. It was city of bread, town of bread. That's important. Jesus is the bread of life. Come on. Jesus is the bread of life. He came from the town of bread. He was born near the town of bread in this field to, off to offer his life up as a living sacrifice so that we could have the word of God, so that we could have the spiritual nourishment of God. It says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Meshach. That means this, to smear, the anointed one, Christos. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. Watch these two things right here. Two signs. Say two. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes. You are talking to the toughest guys on earth. And you're saying the sign you're going to get of what God's doing next of the Messiah coming is a baby. I don't know if you get this. You're talking to the roughest, toughest guys on earth. They got dirt under their fingernails. Their hands are rough. These are no girly men. These are tough guys. And you're telling these guys the way God is going to show up as the Messiah. The one believed for that would come and set the Jewish nation free. But he would start in their hearts. Then start on earth. You're telling him that the sign is a baby <laughs> wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Come on, church. Let's talk about swaddling clothes. What are those? What are those? Swaddling clothes. They are rags. They are rags. What kind of rags? Some of the greats will tell you that they are milk rags. I don't lean to that direction. I don't lean that direction. Uh, there's two other theories, and I think both of these other theories could be right. 
Number one, the scholars say that the priests in the temple, when their robes would get old, they'd have to change them out. You must understand from the book of Leviticus, these robes had to be absolutely spotless white. If they were blemished in any way, they could not perform their priestly duties. It would kill them, especially on the Day of Atonement. If everything wasn't perfect with what they wore, they would die standing in the presence of God. Let me tell you why before you go thinking that God's a mean guy or mean God, okay? Let me tell you why. Because everything they did represented the covering we would have in Jesus Christ. God wanted absolutely no question about how spotless and how sinless his son would be. So they had to follow these rules because it all pointed to the one who would complete and fulfill all the law. So anytime their priestly vestment was stained in any way, they would have to take that off and get a new one. They would tear that vestment up into pieces. They would climb these 30-foot ladders, and they would go to the menorah. Now, we've got some menorahs in our home, and we use some of those during Christmas to, to celebrate Hanukkah, but the Festival of Lights. But these, these menorahs in the temple were 30 feet high. There's one in Jerusalem right now, and we got to see it on our last trip there. There's one encased in glass that's two inches thick, and it is 30 feet high. You'll see it right in in Jerusalem. By the way, when they rebuild the temple, they already got the menorah. It's been on display. It's right there in Jerusalem right now. So Jesus is coming. Amen. Jesus is coming. So they would take those rags, they would dip them in oil. Well, wait, first they would wash them. They would salt them so that they would be pure. Then they would dip them in olive oil. Then they would use them to light the menorah candles that are 30 feet high. Remember this. They washed them. They salted them. They dipped them in oil. Or if they had all of the candles that they needed and they had a supply, they would give the same rags to the poor. Now I want you to see just how poor Mary and Joseph were when they came in that day or that night and Jesus was born. Angels aren't appearing to them. Listen, Mary's the one that's... Can I, can I just preach here? Mary's the one that's got all of the pain going on and all the struggle going on. And there's no angels appearing to her saying, you can do it, come on, breathe. He, he, who? He, he, who? Never did that? I guess that was the 80s of having babies, okay? I was in doing a lot of he, he, who. And my wife was doing a lot of get out of here, get out of here. All right. Angels are appearing to shepherds. Here is Mary. Here is Joseph. They just have a baby boy. Here's what they do. They wash him. They put salt on him. They cover him in oil. Then they take these same rags, these tattered rags. Come, let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. What is going on? Let the Spirit of God grip your heart over this. And Jesus, who would later call himself the light of the world, is wrapped in these same rags. 
And it's not just the rags that would have went in the menorah. Now we've got a menorah that beats every menorah that would ever be a menorah. But these are the tattered cloths of the high priest. But they're soiled. I want you to see. They wrap him. They put him in oil. They salt him. They wash him. These are not holy instruments anymore yet the one that they're wrapping is holy (laughs) the one that they're wrapping up can still be a high priest forever after the order of melchizedek the one that they're wrapping can satisfy the law and it's no more an outward satisfaction anymore in the duds it's an inward change of a man who's born sinless, who isn't just going and reconciling us to God on our behalf, but is God himself. Woo! Then they lay him in a manger. Oh, I know what that is. That's a wood with hay. There's not a lot of wood in Israel. There's a lot of things in your Bible. By the time it got to Europe, they changed it because people in Europe would have went, we don't build stuff like that. We don't make anything like that. The manger was not made out of wood with hay in it. Give you some pictures here. First one is, that's in Megiddo. That's when we were there in Megiddo. That's a stone manger in Megiddo. They, they carved them out of stone. This is a place, this is a place where animals would feed. You're just as much an animal as I am. You animal. And this whole church is an animal house. Uh, It is. It is. And yet God calls us. Later, Jesus actually says to his disciples and his followers, he says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood and they all leave them because they know in Leviticus you can't do that that's, that's bad that's bad but you are supposed to do that with Jesus spiritually this is why we take communion because in communion we take into ourselves not a wafer and some grape juice but we take into ourselves by faith this attitude of unity with the Father through Christ. And He came to feed you. What does that mean? To meet every single need in your life. You can trust Him for every single... You know what sin is? Sin is when you miss the mark of going to Jesus to meet every single need in your life. If you would just trust Jesus, God would fulfill it. If you would just hold on and trust Jesus, God will pay it. If you will just hold on and be obedient to Jesus, God will make sure that your soul is satisfied. He told the woman at the well, he says, I have, I have water that if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Do you want to be satisfied? It's not in the world. Come to the manger. And he's laid there because he is the sustenance. He is the source now of everything my soul, my heart, my mind needs. Laid in a manger. I want to show you the parallel of what 
his tomb looks like. I know some of you have seen this before, but this is a picture from inside the garden tomb. I want you to see that he was laid, wrapped in a manger, cut out of stone. I want you to see that in the garden tomb, he was wrapped. This God that loves you was born to die. He was born with one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to give himself completely to you. The sign would be to shepherds. To shepherds. It's going to be a baby placed in a manger out in the field near what they call the Tower of the Shepherds. Why the Tower of the Shepherds? Because the Tower of the Shepherds was where the shepherds would bring the Paschal Lamb. They would bring their spotless lambs for inspection. And when they brought the lamb for inspection, they would get the highest price available. The more the lamb had no blemish in it, the more the lamb would bring a prophet. And yet Jesus is born right next to that tower. <laughs> and the priests would come down to select the lambs if they'd only came down that night. Um, by the way, that night wasn't in December. <laughs> I'm going to dodge a tomato or two. It was born to fulfill what the Paschal Lamb would come to do right on time. And then when he died, he died right on time. This being the very first holiday and seven Jewish holiday or feasts called Passover. He came right on time. He died right on time. The way he came is the way he died. When they wrapped him in those burial clothes, they covered him in oil. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you know, the Bible says that, that one of the disciples peeked in and seen an angel on one side and on the other. To see an angel seated on one side or the other would be the same representation and stance of two angels at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And what was in the middle? The mercy seat. Jesus. What is under the mercy seat? All of the sins of Israel. The three times Israel blew it the most was covered by the mercy seat. And covered by the blood. I just want to remind you this morning that if you're giving up hope, you are really going cheap. Because all of the hope that heaven could have offered came and took your place so that you could take his. His place was on a throne, his place was before a sea of glass. His place was surrounded by seraphims, burning angels that were on fire. His place was before the 24 elders. His place was where the streets are paved with gold. And yet he left that place to come to your field and to go first and make a way where there wasn't a way. There isn't a thing this morning that you need to be hopeless about in light of that. Now I've done my very best job to lay out what God put on my heart this morning. My very best, but it's still not enough. It'll never be good enough because I'm not good enough. 
You need to listen in your heart this Christmas season to the Spirit of God. You need to listen to the true minister, and it's not me. The true minister is the Holy Spirit. The true minister is speaking to you right now, saying, why, in light of all of this hope, would you be hopeless? Why, in light of all of this joy, would you have depression? Why, in light of all of this strength and all of this faith of knowing that God has taken your place and gone first, <laughs> why would you fear? Why would you fear a thing? <laughs> Let me just tell you, in light of all this, I ain't afraid of nothing. There isn't a thing that I have to be, not even death, because he even went first in that. <laughs>